back to the Olympic Size Podcast. We're a bi-monthly podcast talking about the history of the Olympics. I'm your host, Bridget Natalie. Oh, I hate this part. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can go. Uh, I'm your co-host slash recurring guest, Frank Costello. <laughs> I'm Sarah McSorley, and I just, I, I showed up. <laughs> We're in your house. <laughs> <laughs> We showed up. <laughs> I showed up to my house where we record. I woke, I woke up. Now it's a podcast. Where we record this this podcast. I'm in my pajamas while we record this podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, and today's episode, we are talking about the first Olympics of the modern Olympiad, uh, which took place in Athens in 1896. So I don't want to like go right for the. I'm sure this is like a burying the lead thing, but who won? <laughs> Oh, we'll get into medal count. Okay. Uh, it depends on, do you count most first places or most medals overall? Well, most I'm actually, I'm, that was a bit of a joke, but I'm genuinely curious, like, how much has the scoring and medal system changed since the initial games? Uh, that's another thing that we addressed. There is a, a slight difference okay. in how the medals, uh, what metal, metal? is used to make the medals. Um, oh, that's meta. Yeah, and uh, which places we count for the ceremonies and stuff, and also how the ceremonies happen. So, like, in the first Olympics, they didn't have the medal ceremonies. Those are really something, I think, that... I don't know if they... Excuse me, it happened before television broadcasts, but it's really something kind of designed for television broadcasts, where they stand on the podiums, and they get the flowers and the and the medals, and they raise the flags and play the anthem. That is not a thing they did in 1896. Okay, okay. So so I'll back up. I'll let you start from where, where yeah. you were going to start. Um, well, they had with, to add. With the non-television coverage, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and I think it's it's something that's important to keep in mind. I, I don't know when they introduced radio to this, but for the first couple Olympic Games, they did not have, I mean, obviously no television, um, no movies. There's, like, they, you know, in the 30s, I know Lainey Riefenstahl and, like, uh, I think a little bit before that they would do the newsreels where they would kind of show footage from the Olympics. Um, that didn't happen for a while, so there was no like video recording, there was no audio recording, it was all newspaper and eyewitnesses uh, in terms of... So it was just to have a bar story. <laughs> you would just go to the Olympics and be like, I swear this happened. Yeah, I mean, when we get into like 1900, 1904, 1908, um, things got kind of weird. Um, I think even through 1912, and or no, no, there wasn't one in 1912. There was at least one skipped because of World War One. <laughs> Fair enough. Everyone was dead. <laughs> and then when they start up again in the 20s in Antwerp, um, things get a little more familiar. So there, there's going to be like, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we just this one trial run. The trial run is actually something that's going to be a lot more familiar to what we understand as the Olympics. Than the next couple. Um, it was held in Athens, Greece. Uh, it was held in April from the 6th through the 15th. So it was about, you know, was that 10 days yeah. ish? Um, a week and a half. A, sec- a, a, a nice, half. a nice tight week and a half. Yeah. Get in, get some games, get out. Yeah. And I mean, even now they're only two weeks long. It's, um, and we have a lot more sports. It feels like it's longer. <laughs> no, the Olympics are only two weeks long. Um, it, it's a lot, a lot more coverage because there's a lot more sports, a lot more people competing. Um, but even um, then, they only had it for like a week and a half. Uh, it was also the first truly international sporting event of 
its kind or any kind, really, this was the first time that um, they would hel hold something and, and go out of their way to invite athletes representing other countries to compete. Um, the opening ceremonies were held at the Panathenaic Stadium to an audience of about 80,000, including King George I of Greece, his wife Olga, and their sons. And we talked about the Panathenaic Stadium in the last episode, but that's the one that's built entirely of marble in like uh, the, I think it was 226 BC is when they built it, something like that. Um, and they filled it in um, after they stopped doing the Olympics and grazed goats on it. <laughs> but then they dug it out again and, and fixed it up and they still use it today. Um, so that's where they held the opening ceremonies. Um, it was presented with a great deal of pomp and circumstance, including the Olympic hymn, which was composed by Spiridon Samaras and Costas Palamas. Uh, Frank has a fidget spinner and it clicked and we have both looked at him. <laughs> fidget cube. Fidget cube, that's right. It's not a spinner, it's my, a cube. It's mine. My, I don't, <laughs> my editor's senses are just like... Don't, don't use the ones that click. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I will, I will attack you. It will be vicious. It will be decisive. <laughs> and the audience will appreciate it. Oh. <laughs> um, all right. The, the song, this uh, Olympic hymn, is now the official hymn of the Olympics, although it wasn't until 18, or 1957 that it was established to be official. Now, right. this, isn't, this isn't the fanfare that you're thinking of. This is a different song. They sing it at the opening ceremonies. Are you okay. going to sing it for us now? I'm not going to I think we're going to splice it in in post. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, want, I wanted Bridget to perform it right now, I, I, live. I'm going um, to read the lyrics. Um, That's not the same. It's a translation of the... So there's like Just, a bunch of... So there's a bunch of different translations of this because you have... They wrote it in Greek and then there's like the translation to... The straight translation to English... And then there's like the adjusted translation to English so that it kind of gets closer to the actual meaning of the <clears throat> lyrics. And then there's the song translation where they, they change it to fit the music. Um, but this is like the middle one. So it's... So this isn't even meant to be sung. No, it's not really. Um, I mean, you could try. Uh, from 1896 to 1960, the hosting country composed a new hymn for the Olympics every time. Um... These are the lyrics, kind of, as translating Greek poetry to English gets messy uh, for lots of reasons. All right. Immortal spirit of antiquity, father of the true, beautiful and good, descend, appear, shed over us thy light upon this ground and under this sky, which has first witnessed thy unperishable fame. Give life and animation to these noble games. Throw wreaths of fadeless flowers to the victors in the race and in the strife. Create in our breasts hearts of steel. In thy light, Plains, mountains, and seas shine in a roseate hue and form a vast temple to which all nations throng to adore thee, O immortal spirit of antiquity. See it's like a half metal song, half <laughs> America the Beautiful. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's like I said, that's the adjusted translation trying to get closer to what the Greek original's saying. And then they adjust it again because that's not... I mean, that doesn't scan at all. <laughs> it doesn't rhyme at all. Like, and you, well, so you mentioned this was commissioned uh, for the first modern Olympic yes. Games, but um, you also alluded to it being based on some older Greek, uh, at uh, least in, in spirit, like the, the wreaths, or those are the same kind of wreaths we talked about last time. Yeah, the, yeah. Like and I think I skipped, I skipped which ones that they gave in the Olympic. I think it was like gray leaves, maybe, or something. One of them was pine, I remember uh, that. Yeah, there was the pine that was, like, they each had their own kind. Anyway, and they're like the olive leaves. Anyway, 
The song was performed by nine bands in a 150-person choir. The athletes also attended, standing on the field and grouped by nation. But they didn't do the, like, parade of nations like they do now. And, like, I mean, it, it was really more geared for the people who were there mm, who could see it. on TV. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they didn't, and they didn't also, didn't have any radio, so, um, so there were 241 athletes from 14 different countries participated, although this number is kind of complicated. Uh, for the first 10 years of the modern games, the home countries of the athletes participating weren't all that interested in it. It wasn't a prestigious event. The whole identifying of who was from what country was murky, this was further complicated by this happening during a period of some major empires crumbling over time. <laughs> so, uh, the 14 countries that participated are Australia, Austria, Bulgaria, Chile, Denmark, France, Germany, Great Britain, Greece, Hungary, Italy, Sweden, Switzerland, and the United States. Woo! So I'm immediately seeing several continents not represented. No, they're not there. <laughs> did, did they get invited? I don't know. I... <laughs> Um, I mean, this was, first of all, this was pretty low budget. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't have the prestige, they didn't have the reach that they do now. And also, I mean, this is the Victorian era, era their, uh, attitudes about race were lacking, <laughs> to put it lightly. We'll get into the first African athletes to compete in an Olympic event were in 1904 in I, St. Louis. I am familiar. Yes. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's... And why they were there that was, is awful. It was, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. It's problematic. Yeah, there's some problematic stuff going on in St. Louis. We'll get to that uh, in, like, two episodes. <laughs> oh, boy. So this is the official-ish list from the IOC about who participated. Uh, but when this happened, there was a lot of flux, like I said. Um, Austria and Hungary were still Austria-Hungary, <laughs> hyphen, at the time. But they were in the process of dissolving, so they sent their own athletes. Australia, for example, an another example, uh, was not technically a country at this point. Was but it a prison colony? It wasn't a... Exactly. <laughs> it was... Australians burned. I think there was some middle ground between prison colony and no. standalone country. No, yeah. it's still a prison colony to this day. <laughs> okay. Just All the Hemsworths are criminals. You heard it here first. <laughs> Um, it was six, uh, <laughs> Australia at the time was six British colonies independent of each other, but they only sent one athlete anyway, his name was Edwin Flack, so the IOC just counts him as Australian. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. Yeah. Do we know if he tried to represent a specific colony in the continent, I, or? I, that didn't come up okay. in my okay. research. Lost to time. Yeah. Do you, do I mean, know... it, it's possibly still known, they just didn't mention it. Because, like, I, I think I mentioned this in the earlier episode. These, the, the first one in this episode, I just looked at Wikipedia. When we get into the 1900 Olympics, I have some other sources. Um, because the, that entry was not as in-depth as these other ones. Right. Um, but for the first two, I was able to find enough information that I felt like I could present sure. a yeah. full picture just from that. So, yeah, this is, my sources are Wikipedia on the first two. Um and they didn't mention which particular colony Edwin Flack was from. Uh, athletes from Cyprus, Smyrna, and Egypt were all considered Greek for some reason. 
Okay. Is it sure. possible that Greece? Was, I mean, speculation. Are they trying to be the catch-all to get some more representation since they are hosting and they are banking a lot of and national I, reputation on this? I think possibly, but also I think those were all places from the Ottoman Empire, which was. I think, as uh, Eddie Izzard put it, slowly collapsing like a flan in a cupboard. So, <laughs> um, um, I don't think Egypt was in the position to send their own athletes, but um, since they were formally all part of the same empire, they had some relation, mm-hmm. so uh, they took them. Um, Sweden was technically part of one country with Norway at the time. But Norway didn't send any athletes, and Sweden sent one, so they get the credit <laughs> as being there. <laughs> um, probably the biggest asterisk on this list is, or are, are two, the two biggest asterisks are Chile and Italy. Uh, Chile claims they sent one athlete, uh, a guy named Luis Subercaso. And that he competed in the 100, 400, and 800 meter races. I'm sensing there's a controversy. He appears nowhere on the official report. No. But he was totally there. There were no cameras. There was no radio. You can't prove that he wasn't there. And, and Chile says they sent him. Then he <laughs> Did they get him back? I, I guess he came back. <laughs> what, if he, like, what if he was supposed to go and then he just like bailed to yeah, like, like, go sightseeing yeah, and like, like have a vacation? Yeah, he had his Greek vacation. Yeah, he was like, this This rules. I'm getting a state-funded vacation. Island hopping. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, whoever, uh, either that or who, this is my editorial comment, whoever was in charge of writing this stuff down couldn't handle his last name and gave up. Oh, also a possibility. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like I said, it's because like as I was typing it out, it's S-U-B-E-R-C-A-S-E-A-U-X. By Mike Subercaso. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, um, well, there was a lot of uh, French involvement in the IOC at this point. They yeah. should have been okay with the weird X's in the Yes, yeah, true, and the uh, abundance of, of vowels. Um, Italy sent two athletes to compete, but one, Carlo Airoldi, was disqualified as he was determined to be a professional athlete, and the other, Giuseppe Rivabella, ultimately did not compete. So For no reason. Because he just didn't feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> just woke up that day and was like, you know, my heart's not really in it. Yeah. <laughs> my my uh, my other buddy isn't allowed to, to do yeah, it. Right. I, uh, Italian solidarity. Right. Um, do we know how they determine professional or amateur athletes for this set of games? So um, I think it's similar. They did this in like football around the time too, where they were like trying to determine where the original professional football game was, which was in Latro, Pennsylvania, my hometown. <laughs> Don't at me, Canton. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Uh, but yeah, it would be like you you paid a couple bucks to like go and c- join this team. Um, or you want... I, I don't think winning money counted as being a professional sport. Like, there was a purse to be won. I don't think that counted. But if you uh, accepted some kind of wages... Um, hmm. I mean, it, it would be hard to avoid winning money competing if yeah. the competition has a prize yeah. but certainly you could tie some kind of gambling strategy to it i feel like yeah. betting on yourself was a big thing in oh athletes at, yeah at that and that was one thing that cooperton was really anti was the betting on sports he really like he thought that was a corruptive influence um a lot of this emphasis on amateur athletics was to be pure sport 
where you weren't worrying about your salary, you weren't um, competing because people were paying you to throw the game or something like that. It was the idea of just focusing on what the human body could do in these different events. That's the ideal, anyway. <laughs> so, um, it's also interesting when we get into when they decide that doping isn't okay, what doping looked like before that. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm all strapped in and ready to go. Yeah, we, do, we don't address that in this episode, but we will in later ones. Um, so, uh, despite all the fanfare Decubitin could and company could muster, not a whole lot of people took the first games all that seriously. Uh, the Greeks were very excited to host such an August event, but the top world athletes didn't compete. It just wasn't high profile enough yet. So while they set Olympic records for every event, <laughs> the wow. Olympics, that's a, what a coincidence. They did not break any existing world records. Um, was there any like was there actually a prize for winning? Uh, yeah, yeah, you got. And they still couldn't convince people to come. The prize wasn't that great. It was no. a lot. I mean, because they focus on the amateur athletics, so that cut out a lot of people to begin with. Um, and the prizes themselves. Like, it wasn't supposed to be the point, you know? And I don't think DeCoubertin's idea of getting the stipend together for working-class athletes paid off. I don't think that was happening at this point. I don't know if that ever happened. Um, so, yeah, what was I saying? Um, it wasn't high-profile enough. And, I mean, but it... And they talk about how it's not even really about winning. It's about competing. It's the game. Yeah, it's like a period, like, and once the Olympics get enough of a profile, which I think happens around, like, in the 20s, they start kind of really gaining in, in uh, international importance, that idea of it just being an honor to compete is something that starts coming up a lot more. Um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like at this point there was no competition within any given country to get into these games. No, um, and we'll get into, there wasn't a lot of specialization among the athletes in terms of what sport they were playing. Uh, I mean, it almost sounds like you could just show up and say where you came from yeah. and get in. People did. Yeah. So, no, I don't know if they did in this game, but I know certainly <laughs> later, later people yeah. did. Yeah, that, people did just show up and they were like, what's up? I'm here. It's Olympic time. <laughs> 1900 when we talk about the archery competition. Oh boy. Can't wait. Love yeah. amateur archery. That sounds like nothing could possibly go wrong. <laughs> Alright, so which sports did they actually compete in at the first Olympic Games? There are 43 events in total, sort of. I'm going to break that down a little bit. Uh, the first, the biggest category was, quote, athletics, uh, which was track and field. Uh, shouldn't that be everything? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but that's just what they called track and field at the time. We, I think, started calling it track and field to make it a little more clear as to what I mean, it actually was. Okay. Um, it is a weird mishmash of sports that don't really actually have that much to do with each other. They just kind of all can happen in the same stadium. <laughs> only and not even, but not even like the same part of the stadium. Yeah. Like only because the stadium is that size yeah. <laughs> that there's room for like five different things. It's weird. It's dumb. Yeah, and remember they were using the metric system because of that that three year those three years of Olympics the French did where they used the metric system. So that standardized everything really quickly. Thank you, French yes. people, uh, for your sacrifices. Yes. <laughs> the 100, 400, 800, and fifteen hundred meter races, uh, the one hundred ten meter hurdles, the marathon which we'll talk a little bit more about later. High jump, long jump, and triple jump. Pole vault, discus, and shot put. I have a question. So the triple jump... <laughs> triple jump. Is triple jump. Yeah, triple jump, we still do that. Okay, okay. okay well, what is it? Triple <laughs> jump is... Um, 
so it's like, I mean, you know, long jump where you run up and then you just take one, like, two foot jump into the sand pit, right? Mm-hmm. Triple jump is you run and then you do one jump, land on one foot, a second jump, land on the opposite foot, and then the last jump where you land on two feet. So my question on triple jump is the um, scoring. <laughs> is it long jump rules or do you get each, is each jump just cumulatively added together? Yeah. Oh, I see. So it's from where the track ends for your like running lead up to where your final desk your final right is. So assuming that you don't fall in the middle. <laughs> if you fall, are you disqualified, or yeah, do you just have a really shitty score? That's I think that's a do, did not finish. Okay. Yeah. Um, next was cycling, which included one road race similar to the Tour de France, although not as long, and five events in the velodrome, which uh, De Kubikin designed. Um, there was the 100-kilometer race, the 1,000-kilometer race, the 12-hour race. I'm sorry? Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. The sprint, which was six laps of the track, and the time trial, which was once around the track. So th- those are similar to what we do. We don't do the 12-hour race anymore. Well, the sprint is six laps, and they're sprinting? Yeah. Well, they're on bikes. They're on bikes. Oh, okay. That yeah, is, this, okay, that's fine. Yeah. I was like, that's, what? Yeah, no, no, that's, that's a long, that's like, like. That's like a really long 100 meter race. No, no. The, um, yeah, it's 100, 400, 800, 1500 Yeah, so 12 hour race. 12 hour race, I think is a holdover, and I, what, I meant to look this up, there's an episode about the, on the dollop about, uh, this guy who, um, started this, um, sport of endurance walking, essentially. Um, and it started, did you listen to this one? I don't know that I've heard the dollop, but I've seen something about, like, the rules for endurance walking and, like, how you had to have one foot on the ground yeah, at all so, times. Yeah, because you're not running. But this one, this one started, uh, when, like, he made a bet with a guy that he could walk from Boston to D.C. in time for Lincoln's inauguration. Bless you. <laughs> Alright, sorry. Sorry. So, yeah, he had the bet that he could walk from Boston to D.C. and get there in time for Lincoln's inauguration, which he actually missed by, like, five hours. <laughs> so he lost the bet. A sport is born. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, not like, and not like he kind of missed it. Like, yeah. he fully missed uh, it. Five hours walking from Boston to D.C. is actually pretty That's good. That's pretty Yeah, that was... That, I mean, all things considered. That's a long but he missed walk. it. But he missed he did, it he by five hours. He didn't win the bet, but he did become a like, celebrity. It, it took him longer than that. Yeah. He missed, he missed it. Walking it by five from Boston to DC is going to take more than five hours. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yes. But like, how did, how long did he estimate that it was going to take? Like a him? month. He he gave like I I think it was a month. Um, I'm not sure you understand the distances we're talking about. I know, but I was just like, I don't understand. No, I knew that's... it was more than five hours. Okay, that's not the controversy <laughs> so, like, here. The, the amount of time he spent walking versus like how much he missed it by that was okay. Fair, yeah, was fair close. enough. But he was still wrong. He was wrong. But, um, and then he became, like, a celebrity because people would, like, have little parties as he came through their town. Because there was nothing to do before right. the internet, no, basically. For sure. <laughs> and, and it became, like, this Ooh. sensation where they would, like, make bets if he could go from, you know, this city to this city and then, like, along the way. Um, and then he would have, like, um, things where he would go to towns and see how long, how far he could get in, like, how many hours around going around the roller rink track, or well, was um, he can I do a hundred miles in a day or something? You know, whatever. Was he always walking? Like, was yeah, there he was always there to walking. Watch? Because, like, what if he broke into a, a jog for a minute? There is a surprising amount of controversy in the speed walking community about exactly these kinds of judgment calls, yeah. and I'd really rather not discuss. <laughs> <laughs> well, but now I'm interested. We didn't do speed walking for a while. So, like this one, 
there's no speed walking at these Olympics. But the tw- so the twelve hour ra- race is kind of a holdover of that because they would do like how far can you get in so many hours? Yeah. Um, New York City actually passed a regulation that you couldn't do these sports that lasted like twenty four hours or longer. Like it had to be. Like, come on, you guys, go home. Like, wrap it up, go home. So that's what the 12-hour race was kind of... That's really dumb. Yeah, it's real dumb. Um, (laughs) We don't do it anymore. (laughs) It's it's who can bike the farthest in 12 hours. It's not fundamentally more dumb than most of those other bicycling events. Fair enough, but those end. Yeah, those end pretty quickly. This ends... In 12 when hours, look, <laughs> you're just going around the same track. I mean, they, for 12 hours. They could, oh, they're, that's all they're doing? It's yeah, not, this, they're not even like getting somewhere. No. Because I was like, they could bring this back though. Like, this could fully work. In if the internet have, age, they put everybody, they put like a GoPro on everybody's bike and they just let them loose. See how far you can get and how much trouble you can get into. And then it's like the amazing race at the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, if it was a, like a cross country race, that would be one thing. But this was in the track. There would be, like, people out if you, yeah, if, I mean, like, that's the problem, is if you let them just, like, go out into the countryside, there'd be, like, people out there sabotaging them right. for the lulls. <laughs> Which would improve the sport from a spectator I'm into perspective. it. Like, I actually think this is great. I am going to submit this to the IOC for consideration. Okay, so we have a little bit about that 12-hour race, though. Oh, boy. The final cycling race, which was a 12-hour race, began at 5 a.m. on April 13th. Did it end at 5 p.m.? I really yep. hope so. <laughs> it's a 12 hours. It might have been, like, set the clocks back or something. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like, I, just, I was just making sure. Seven athletes began the race. Uh, four of them dropped out before noon. <laughs> a smart four. Yeah, I mean... Wait, that's gold medals, or, sorry, not gold medals, but that's medals for everyone else. They can just call it. Well, yeah, except the fifth gave up in the afternoon. There's only two of them. Oh, boy. Except, does giving up mean giving up, or did he just get bronze? Because he did the third most distance of the seven. They didn't have bronze medals. Oh, oh. Yeah, I haven't haven't gotten to that yet. Um, And I don't have this guy's first name. I think it comes up later, but I think he was Austrian. His last name's Schmal. Um, he had lapped the rest of the cyclists early in the race, and he rode along with Keeping, the uh, second place winner, for the rest of the contest, winning. So he won by one lap. Smart. Yeah. And I don't think the other guy remembered. <laughs> because Aww. it was like, I mean, that's my guess. Or I think he would have tried near the end to, like, kind of I make mean, up some space. 12 hours is a long time. It is a really. And, like, there were, like, seven other guys, and you don't remember this one guy lap. Uh, he ended up cycling. Uh, three hundred fourteen point nine nine seven kilometers, and second place was three hundred fourteen point six six four. So that was the distance of. Wow, that's just you know a hoot and a holler. That's um. <laughs> oh boy, that's a photo finish if you look at those numbers and don't realize it was a twelve-hour window. <laughs> that's just that sounds like a a lap a minute. Like, was, were there people there watching it the entire time? I I think with these events you wouldn't stay the entire time. You'd like come and go. I mean, if they're taking that long. Oh, yeah. They also fit all these events in, like, a nine-day period, so they yeah. may have had other things going on during this window. Well, yeah. but there were, like, I mean, like, the marathon, too. Like, before television cameras, like, that stuff's not exciting for a spectator audience. Like They loved it, though. But you don't get to watch it. You I see the know. one part when they walk past We'll get into it. The, the story of the marathon from this Olympics is, like, easily the most exciting one. 
mean, but that's near the end. No, we're okay. way distracted all right, by all right, this all right, club all right. on our bicycles. She's, she's, she's like, like if you let insane. me tell you, if you let me tell you about the rest of these stupid sports, we can get to the good ones. So we'll, yeah. we'll be Here's good. Here's the real question: <laughs> What kind of bicycles did they have? The giant old timey wheels on the oh, front. Oh, that is a good question. I don't think so. <laughs> Why are you <laughs> killing our dreams? <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, they had the giant. <laughs> yes. There's no pictures and no photographs, so we can't prove that. No, we can't prove the, that okay. it wasn't. So fencing. There were three events. Foil, Master's Foil, and Saber. The difference between Foil and Saber is that the Foil only has the sharpened tip and the Saber has a sharpened blade to count them. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, like, Foil, you're just, like, kind of poking, and then Saber is where they kind of do the whacking. Um, I feel the podcast audience is really missing out on the arm motions <laughs> as you describe <laughs> yeah. the various methods of fencing. Yes, uh, my... The whacking versus the stabbing. Yeah. Uh, Masters Foil was the only event for professional athletes at the 1896 Olympics and was held immediately after the amateur foil competition. Professional fencers were forbid because they were considered to be gentleman athletes along with the amateurs. Yes. <laughs> That's all I have for you. You're right. There were eight gymnastics events. The ones we would recognize were the horizontal bars, parallel bars, pommel horse, reins, vault. Uh, the vault was a little different. It didn't. Ha I don't think it had the spring. So you just kind of run and jump. Yeah, like vault, like before like the 80s or something when did they put all the safety things in because it was horrifying <laughs> well this one i think you would just like kind of hop over it too. yeah like, but it like wasn't that involved yet. it got really dark for a little while yeah, yeah, bolting no. was like a super dangerous thing uh the ones uh so there was also team parallel team parallel bars and team horizontal bar so we don't do the team individual events anymore we'll do the team all around and then there's the individual uh single events and the individual all around, but they did team events for the, the parallel bars and the horizontal bar for some reason. It seems a little surprising that we would have given up on that, um, considering the synchronized swimming and diving being so popular. Well, they don't do them all at the same time. Oh, they don't even care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they don't fit the whole team on that one bar. That would be amazing. <laughs> no, they would have each one do their yeah, no, routine. I understand now, <laughs> and I don't care as much. Yeah, then, no, I'm with you. I, I was picturing them both being on the same yeah. bar, too, so I'm glad you said something. Like, because like back and forth, <laughs> like, weaving as they go from bar to bar on Actually, the parallels? Actually, I'm sad you said something, because I could have just kept believing that. <laughs> and then there was rope climbing, which we don't do Oh, anymore. boy. It, you would just climb a 25-foot rope. So he was really into PE. Interestingly, and he was like, yeah, something we also did in physical education. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, all right, kids. You could only use your upper body. You couldn't use your feet at all. Like, oh. nothing. Whoa. Yeah. Well, that's harder then. Yeah. <laughs> so there were five shooting events. Uh, Sorry? Yeah. 200 meter military rifle. Oh. Yeah. I, no, like target what shooting. What did you think? <laughs> I misheard you. <laughs> I was right. like. The 200 meter military rifle, 300 meter free rifle. Uh, three positions, so I guess three different, like on your shoulder or from the hip, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, However you shoot things. Was there like a cannon competition? You, you, when you hold the pistol sideways. Yeah, oh god! <laughs> uh, 25 meter military pistol, 25 meter rapid fire pistol, and 30 meter free pistol. Greece beat the US for most medals and most gold medals in this event. Something we have been striving to overcome ever since. Okay. Love of shooting things. <laughs> so you mentioned that there was no bronze, but there were gold and question mark, question mark, question mark, no, another medal? No, there was like the first place got silver medals, second place got copper, and third place didn't get anything. But for ease of 
like conversation like record keeping they just say first place gold they, they have yeah. backdated those to yeah. be gold and silver medals yeah. and, and the third place gets bronze oh they've even given those okay yeah okay yeah they so yeah they still they count those in the official ioc records and they call them gold medals or gold silver bronze even though they got silver and copper and nothing uh, right okay so, all right there were only four swimming events. Uh, one hundred. They're all freestyle. Michael Phelps won all of them. Yeah, <laughs> they're all freestyle. One hundred meter, five hundred meter, twelve hundred meter, and the sailors one hundred meter freestyle, which was open only to members of the Greek Royal Navy. So, um, how many competitors from other countries besides Greece were in the Greek Royal Navy to compete in this event? Uh, none. They swept. <laughs> oh, what a <laughs> They coup. swept that event. Uh, they didn't want. So, also, I say they didn't want to spend the money on building a swimming pool, but also swimming pool technology at the time was pretty rudimentary, and the it's water cleaning, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was basically, <laughs> like, the, the methods of cleaning the water and stuff like that, like, were almost non-existent. So, they swam in the Bay of Z. So, it was all open water. Oh. Yeah. That yeah. changes things. Yeah. Also, apparently, it was really freaking cold. I mean. <laughs> okay. Uh, there were two tennis events, men's singles and men's doubles. Um, the medal count for men's doubles is a bit odd because there was no requirement that both members of the team had to be from the same country. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. that actually I kind of things. like this setup. Yeah. yeah. They called them mixed teams, and in the records now, they denote everything by flag. Um, they give them the Olympic flag, which didn't exist at this point. But that, that is actually a really cool concept, though. Like, yeah. you don't have enough people to send a team. You can just, like, team up with another country. Yeah. I um, like that. There were two weightlifting events, the one-hand lift and the two-hand lift, and one wrestling event. Were the weightlifting events uh, judged by weight or speed or accuracy? Weight. Like, who, how much could you lift? Okay. Um, and they didn't have, like, specifics for, like, clean and jerk or whatever. They just, just how much could you lift? Right. You could throw your back out, but, like, lift 600 pounds and, hey, you yeah. did it. Uh, there were no weight classes for wrestling. And the rules... Oh. Yeah. That seems like a problem. The rules were closest to those for modern Greco-Roman Roman wrestling. For example, there was no time limit to matches. Um, you just kept going until somebody won. Uh, the biggest difference was there were a few leg holes that are now barred that they permitted. So, so it was a, it was a no-holds-barred match? I'm sorry. Yeah. Every time wrestling comes up, this is going to be... The temptation is going to be there to bring I think in there the... was some holds-barred, but... I don't know. Uh, now there there were plans to have sailing events. They wanted to have this regatta, but they were all canceled, and the reasons are difficult to track down. Um, from what I've been able to find, there were some licenses that they didn't apply for, and they weren't permitted to race foreign-owned boats or something. Like it had to do with the legality of they they could have just raced some Greco <laughs> Royal Army yeah. boats and and called it a day. I yeah, mean, another sweep. From yeah. <laughs> They had also scheduled an FA events for fencing, but that was canceled, and I don't know why. Um, they their swords. Uh, the Cooperton <laughs> had lobbied to include polo and boxing, but was voted down. Advance ad announcements had mentioned football, but soccer, and cricket as events, but when they actually held the games, they, they those weren't included, and again, I don't know why. Oh, it's because cricket's... So, but no, apologies to anyone who likes cricket. Yeah, you're going. At, you're you're just <laughs> so, like. So you're... apologies to India. <laughs> India was not apparently invited to these games. Yeah, yeah, not. I guess. <laughs> well, India was also part of Great Britain. That. Mm. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but I don't think any 
of the British col anybody from the British colonies? Australia? Well, Australia counted as Australia. They didn't count as Great Britain. I don't know. This I'm just saying India could have shown up and swept the right, yeah. non-existent forward. Here's the bit about the medals. All right, so um, they didn't have the gold medal, uh, gold, silver, and bronze medals yet. The first games, the winner got a silver medal, an olive branch, and a diploma. And the first runners got a first runners up got a copper medal, a laurel, a laurel branch, and a diploma. And the third place got nothing. <laughs> Did they actually get like pelted with rocks? Because when you say it like that, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> I don't think so. But in this, actually, the first Olympics went off almost without a hitch. Like the hitches were pretty minor. I mean, considering this could have been like a fire fest level fiasco. Oh yeah, I mean, people can't run conventions today in the future. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> I mean, they did just sort of swim in the ocean. They were like, they were willing to like compromise. They made some. They made yeah. some. Well, I mean, I think I think it was a while before like the pools became a thing because yeah. um, I mean, eight thousand people attending though, like that's a yeah. huge event. Um, that was just the opening ceremonies. Like, oh, I don't know okay. how many people showed up over the entire course, but it's more than that. <laughs> Um, yeah. Wow. But now in the record, the winners are listed as gold medalists, second place silver, and third place bronze for clarity's sake. Because um, it's like, oh, this guy was a copper medalist at the 1896. Like, what the hell does that mean? Uh, <laughs> well, now I know. Yeah. So educate yourselves, people, yeah. and then we won't have to make the history books readable for you. So we're getting, getting into success stories. So the basic overview of the medal count. The United States won the most gold medals, which was... Essentially, Woo! with 11 and took home 20 medals overall. Greece won the most medals, so they won the medal count overall Aww. with um, 46 medals overall, 10 gold. Germany came in third with 13 medals overall, six of them gold, and most of those medals were won by the gymnastics team. Interesting. Remember how the French didn't want the German gymnasts there? Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of German gymnastics, oh <laughs> if you remember, these were the guys the French gymnasts didn't want there. Uh, and with good reason, they totally dominated. <laughs> they won gold in parallel bars, vault in team, in team parallel bars. They swept horizontal bar and won gold in team horizontal bar because they were the only team to, com to com participate. Uh, including their silver and bronze medals, they won 10 overall, near, nearly doubling the runner-up of Greece, who net six from gymnastics. Hermann Weingartner took home the most medals, winning six. Uh, three gold, two silver, and one bronze. All his own. Oh, right. It was all men's. It was only, yeah, it was just men's oh. gymnastics. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, unfortunately that. for the team and all of the other German athletes, this was not the beginning of a great sports dynasty. When they returned to Germany, the Deutsche Turnerschaft, which was the governing Olympic body at the time in Germany, declared that competing was un-German and boycotted <laughs> the Olympics after that. Um, they come back at some point. Uh, but sorry, sorry, sorry. I have to ask a clarifying question because I may have just blanked out there for a second. <laughs> but they protested after sweeping the events? Yeah. That competing was un-German because they were so good at it? I don't know. It's Imagine how different the 20th century would have been if this was an uh, idea the Germans held on to. Oh. <laughs> it's un-German to be way better than everybody. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh wow, this this just got real dark in here. Swerve. Wow, did the lights go out or something? Okay. Oh. Um, for Boy. his for his part, Weingartner yeah. returned home to Frankfurt and took a job at his dad's open air swimming pool in <laughs> on Ziegenwerder Island. He died in nineteen nineteen at the age of fifty five, trying to save somebody from drowning in the Oder River. 
1996, the main footpath on Ziegenwerder Island was named Hermann Weingartner Weg in his honor. Although he was not the most successful German athlete or even German gymnast at these games, that honor would go to Carl Schumann. Schumann was Germany's first gold medal of the modern Olympiad and four golds overall. Team horizontal bar, team parallel bars, individual vault, and wrestling. He also competed in weightlifting, long jump, triple jump, shot put, and uh, the other individual gymnastics events, but did not medal in any of those. He, I think he won wrestling, too. Why not? Yeah. There were of, no rules, so a, why not? He had a lot of upper body strength. Yeah. <laughs> um, the biggest winner of the 1896 Athens Olympics were the Greeks and the Olympics themselves. Leading up to the event, there was a great deal of doubt about the Greeks' ability to pull this off, and they did in remarkable style. This could have been a Firefest-level debacle, like I said, and instead was an auspicious start to a remarkable new sporting event. It was the biggest event of its kind ever. Uh, it was the most international sporting event ever. The reputation of the event was in no small way bolstered by Prince George of Greece serving as an official in many of the events, giving the spectacle a vital dose of respectability. Uh, the success of the 1896 Games not only paved the way for future Olympics and carried them through the, the next few, which were not so successful and we'll get into in later episodes, uh, it also set the standard for other future international sporting events, like the Tour de France, World Cup, hmm. those kind of things. Um, Do we have the numbers on the attendance of these games compared to the original Greek Olympics? I know we had 80,000 at these opening ceremonies, and I don't know about the... Oh, record keeping back in the day. I don't. Well, the eighty thousand was the number attended the opening right. ceremony. Yeah. So it's a really high number. It is a really high number, and considering that we we say that stadium seats thirty thousand now, yeah. um, they were oh, packed in there, <laughs> stacked like cordwood, <laughs> or just very skinny little Greeks. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know that. I hmm. that didn't come up. I Did don't you have the people at the stadium clicking. People coming in yeah. back in the day. <laughs> Um, Some stone tablets. Because the Greeks, the Kuvertin's dream was a reality. They did, okay, they did, the idea was, like, the Greeks put out a lot of money to build, like, the velodrome and the hippodrome. No, they didn't have a hippodrome here. But, like, they, they put out some money to build the, the things. The dromes. Like, yeah, the dromes to, like, have these events. And the idea was that they would recoup the money they spent on ticket sales, for one thing, and then also uh, selling a commemorative stamp set. So... From the beginning, we have this idea that you will spend a bunch of money to construct a stadium if you host the games, and then, air quotes, make that money back. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's good to know that that tradition um, was here from it's the inception. It's a very long-running scam. <laughs> it's going to pay off for somebody sometime. LA's got this in They're 2020. Gonna... LA actually made a profit off of the 84 Olympics. Because they oh. don't have to build anything. Yeah, that's the thing. They so. have all the facilities. Yeah. They're the only, I think they're like the only people to actually ever make a profit, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, uh, it's a rare, rare company. I, if they might be, I don't want to say definitively. Let's just go ahead and make wild claims <laughs> on our podcast. Let's get, let's get into the habit of that. All right, um, so Dick dream was a reality because of the Greeks. He also triumphed as his vision of an international competition of world-class amateur athletes finally came to fruition. It was carried out beautifully. Um... The execution of the games was not without its problems, along with what happened to the regatta. The swimming competition in the Bay of Z was problematic. Um, first, the water was very cold, which hampered performance. Second, they held all of the competitions on the same day. Oh, wait, so people would, like, compete in multiple things on the same day. Yeah, and this posed a problem for athletes <laughs> such as Alfred Hajos of Hungary, who was a star swimmer, favored to win 
all of the events, but he couldn't because uh, they were all so close together. He didn't have time to recover in between. Swimming happens to be pretty physically demanding. Yeah. yeah. Um, he only participated in two of the races, the 100 meter oh. and the 1200 meter, and won gold in both. And presumably could have won gold in And then he was four. like, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> no more of this sort of thing. Well he, well, he may have had hypothermia at that point. Yeah, he was like, no, nah, it's not worth it. Yeah, I think I think what those were like far apart, so he had time to like recover. But considering he won gold in the shortest event and the longest, he probably could have done really but well in the other two. Again, scheduling a, a convention is very difficult, yeah. right? Like uh, conflicts on panels or you know, <laughs> whether you choose yeah. to set things up with intentional conflicts to split crowds. Like, those are things that no one gets right today. Yeah. And also, I mean, keep in mind, this was in a bay where they had, like, ships and fishermen and stuff. Like, they could not... When, when you said hiccup, I thought you meant someone got hit by a boat. <laughs> I think they, they like, they Shark kind attack. of cordoned it off for the day, but they couldn't do more than one day, mm. which is why they were all at the same time. They are like, that'll be fine. Yeah. Like, and definitely there was, like, a board meeting where, like, this is fine. <laughs> this is all fine. Uh, while the Americans did not win the most medals in the shooting competition, they did have the first pair of siblings to win gold and silver in the same event, uh, which is something that is not repeated very often. Uh, John and Sumner Payne won for 25-meter military pistols. They were concerned that further dominance would embarrass the Greeks, so John, who won the gold medal in the 25-meter, he withdrew from the 30-meter free pistol, so Sumner could win a gold medal, too. Wow, we, uh, we used to be very polite. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we didn't want to have a literal war start with hosting <laughs> these competitions. Uh, but we're better at shooting than they are, well, so... <laughs> yeah. But our best shooters are all over there in Greece. But uh, they're already armed? They're ready to go? These guys are... Th there's some fun stories about these two. So, oh, incidentally, gosh. their father, Charles Jackson Payne, was a general in the Union Army during the Civil War. Also, in 1901, Sumner, the guy who won the silver and then the gold... Um, he fired four shots at his wife's lover, missing each time, and was ultimately released after authorities determined he must have missed on purpose. <laughs> that this, is a bold defense he in was, court. <laughs> he was the gold medal winner for... He was on the porch. The yeah. guy was in the yard. Did, like, did they he, weren't far away. <laughs> did he have to shoot an apple off his lawyer's head in court? <laughs> I don't know. Um, like, to prove... They were like, look, I'm amazing. And... John Payne's great-granddaughter, Cecily Tucker, competed in the 1996 ga Olympic Games in a rowing event. So, um... I thought that was cool. Their dad was a general in the Union Army. Um, Leonidas Pyrgos was a Greek athlete who won the Golden Master Spoil, becoming... Oh, that's not right. I come up... No, no, yeah. He was the first Greek Olympic champion of the modern era. The best... Cyclist was Paul Masson, a French athlete who won three of the events. Um, but the one who wins my vote for the most impressive was the Austrian we mentioned before. It was Adolf Schmall, who won the 12-hour race by one lap. Schmall was also a fencer. A lot of these guys did multiple events. I mean, yeah, and we hadn't yet combined events the way that we have now with, say, the biathlon, where you have track and field and guns, yeah. making it the best sport. <laughs> yes. And there wasn't Agreed. a decathlon at this point, where they, they the decathlon, they, they say, is, like, the best athlete mm. at the Olympics, mm. because it's, like, ten varied events. And then there's the triathlon, I think a pentathlon, too. So there's a lot of sport events we do now where we combine a lot of things um, that they didn't do at this first one. Uh, but then you have people like Schumann who compete in almost everything. <laughs> so, 
Moving on to a section I'd like to call Heartthrobs, Honeys, and Hometown Heroes. Oh boy! Uh, because with every Olympics, some athletes emerge not just for being great athletes, but for being super hot crowd pleasers. Uh, oh, uh, <laughs> question for the first segment of this. How are we doing this segment without photographs of the... We have No, we have photographs of the guy. Ah, okay. Just um, none from the event themselves, yeah, but we and have... I can get them and put them up on the website. Sure. Um, I, I assume there's some kind of album cover, little uh, image for the episode. Well, also, yeah, but I like what you're saying because we're not just going to take this on like faith that these people were hot. Like yeah. that they told they told they went home and they told everybody they were hot. I need to know that they were hot. This this guy I'm going to talk about that was like reported. <laughs> like, it was reported. Like they yeah. did actually go back and they were like the Olympics happened. This guy was smoking. And if he's, I there's great photos of this guy. I'll get into it a little bit, but he's like. He was an early bodybuilder, so, like, there's, like, photos of him, like, flexing, and oh also, like, gosh. in this, like, check out my package pose. <laughs> and his, like, little, like, turn of the century, um, shorts. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> so, or darlings of the home crowd. So, our first hunky heartthrob was Lonston Elliott, uh, who was actually born in India, uh, but he was Scottish. Uh, his dad was, like, uh, one of the imperial oppressors <laughs> stationed there yeah yeah, yeah. Sort of yeah. but no he was like in charge of like a district oh okay. he wasn't just in the army or something um elliot was a 21 year old beefy scott with a cool mustache hell <laughs> yes to have a little twisty ends. oh yeah he did the yes um while he competed in wrestling the 100 meter dash and the rope climb those events weren't his focus he was a weightlifter at these games, they just had the weightlifting competition in the same open-air arena as track and field. So in the, the God, what's it? Pan, Panathenaic Stadium is where they had it. Um, in more recent Olympics, the rules for weightlifting are a lot more complicated than they were here. I won't get into them now. Wait till we're ac they're actually relevant. Um, at the 1896 Olympics, they were pretty straightforward. No specific form was necessary. There were no weight limits. It was simply two events who could lift more with two hands, and who could lift more with only one hand. As I'm doing, again, hand gestures to demonstrate. <laughs> uh, the two-handed lift was first, and Elliot ended up tying with the Danish athlete Viggo Jensen. Prince George, uh, whose presence granted the event much needed legitimacy, like I said before, decided to grant the gold to Jensen because he lifted the weight in better style. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, his was more of what we would recognize as a clean and jerk. While Elliot struggled with the weight, uh, was at 111.5 kilograms, or about 246 pounds. So Prince George was just like, I think he's cuter. Um, I, it wasn't even, it was just he looked better doing it. Yeah, he did. Um, so the British Olympic Committee was incensed as <laughs> make it look good was not in any of the official criteria. <laughs> so using that as... The deal breaker, or tiebreaker, was kind of bullshit. <laughs> he just picked which one he thought was hot. Uh, it was simply lift more weight. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't have any criteria for what to do in the case of a tie, and thus Prince George created a tiebreaker. Uh, so they decided to have Jensen and Elliot continue competing, but both were so spent at this point they couldn't even lift what they had for the winning round, let alone add more weight, and they ultimately decided to let Prince George's ruling stand. So Great Britain had their rules, rules lawyers at the event yeah. to complain in real time. Yes. Um, that and, sounds about right. And, I mean, I'm on their side there because that was not a criteria I, at all. 
This, these are poorly written game rules. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, the first time you go through, you find all the. the they didn't play test weightlifting at any point before the Olympics. And and the way they would do it, I think this is similar to how they do now, is that you have like the one who like sets it like this is how much I can lift, and then you go down the line until like, mm -hmm. and then you add more weight, you go down the line until somebody can't lift, and then they drop out, and you keep going until the last guy is the only one who can lift the See, weight. But that would have resolved this conflict, and clearly they didn't. No, because they tied yes. in the last round. Um, the one-handed event was scheduled to follow immediately after the two-handed, and Prince George offered to let the uh, athletes rest. Elliot refused and wanted Johnson to go first, as Elliot had gone first in the two-handed, and he thought that gave him an advantage because he could set the weight. Um, or no, he 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 thought it, it was the advantage to go second, so you could so the guy that sets the weight and then you match it or up it. Well, he probably also just wanted the minute and a half to sit. Yeah. Well, also. He beat Jensen easily, as Jensen had injured his shoulder in the repeat round of the two-handed event. He was able to lift, lift 71 kilograms, or about 156 pounds, while Jensen could barely manage 57 kilograms, or 125 pounds. And thus, Elliot became Britain's first Olympic gold medal champion, and his hunky physique and charming style made him a big favorite of the Greek crowd. Um, and also, they were saying there was a weird thing that happened. I don't know if Prince George was like feeling threatened or what, but like there was a one of these kids they had to like change the weights on the things that having trouble with it. So Prince George got down out of the stands and like pulled the weight off the bar and threw it. They said a considerable distance down the field. Okay. Yeah. Um he did have style. Yeah. <laughs> he was very into style. Alright. <laughs> Our hometown hero. This part I love. Spiridon Spiros Lewis. Lewis was a veteran of the Greek military who worked as a water carrier. He was born into a poor family in a suburb of Athens where they didn't have uh, running water. And his father sold mineral water and in the street. He had a little street cart. And Lewis helped by carrying it to him. So he would go in the morning and get the water from the spring or whatever. And his dad would take the cart into town and sell the water. Um, he was... Oh, got this guy's name. Uh, recruited into the marathon event by Colonel Papadiamantos. Populous, who <laughs> nailed it I, I think um who was his commanding officer when he was in the military papa diamantopoulos was in charge of running the qualifying trials for the marathon and knew of lewis's running talent from when they were in the army together lewis came in fifth in his trial which was apparently good enough to qualify for the olympics um so let me see do we go into okay yeah we do right. the marathon was held on april 10th Five days into the Olympics, which were about a third done at this point, and Greece had not won any medals in track and field. It was starting to get to them, especially after an American won the discus throw, uh, which was like apparently very important to their national identity. Uh, they really were into discus. Not only were they yearning for a track and field gold, they particularly invested in the marathon as it was so closely tied to their still fledgling new national identity. So the marathon itself had never been held before the Greek trials. It was a brand new event created by Frenchman Michel Brial, who was inspired by the story of... These Greek names are killing me. Uh, Phidippides, <laughs> a messenger in ancient Greece, who ran from Marathon to Athens to announce the Athenian victory at the Battle of Marathon. You will have heard that story, um, which was not a race, there was only one guy carrying a message. <laughs> uh, and it's it may not even be true. Uh, it's like one of these myths. The race itself now covers a standard 26.2 miles or 42.2 kilometers. Um, it took a while before that distance was standardized, but it was always between like 
24 to 26 miles. It's interesting that that wasn't standard from the beginning. Presumably, Marathon and the endpoint of the original run are a set distance from each other. Yeah, but then, like, they would make the track, the the, the course, different places. Ah. They wouldn't just run, they wouldn't... Straight line. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there were 17 athletes competing in the race, 13 from Greece, hence his like, fifth place uh, qualifying him, and four from other countries, and the course went from the city of Marathon to the uh, Panathenaic Stadium. The early leader of the race was a French athlete, Albin Lermousseau. Somewhere along the route, Lewis took a break and, according to his grandson, ate an orange that his girlfriend and future wife gave him and drank a glass of cognac given to him by his future father-in-law. But this delightful break didn't slow him down enough, as almost nobody had ever done a race like this before, and they didn't know how to pace themselves. <laughs> uh, Lermiso dropped out around 32 kilometers due to exhaustion. Uh, Edwin Flack, the Australian who had won gold in the 800-meter and 1500-meter races, took over the lead but didn't last much longer than Lermiso and soon collapsed. And then Lewis took the lead. The crowd in the stadium didn't know this. They had received a report from a bicycle messenger that Flack was in the lead, but as soon as Lewis overtook Flack, the police monitoring the race sent another messenger. An anxious crowd began to chant, Helene, Helene, I think that's how you say it. The Greek word for Greece. <laughs> um, he really wanted to win this. And, and also, no TV, no radio. Um, they just have to trust one of these bike messengers who are going back and forth on the path to keep them up to date on what's going on. And then Lewis entered the stadium, and the crowd went bonkers. <laughs> Crown Prince Constantine and Prince Paul rushed the track to run the final lap with him. Sure. His official time was 2 hours, 58 minutes, and 50 seconds, which actually isn't bad for a marathon. Um, it I mean, win. it was an Olympic record Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was an okay. Olympic record. Okay. It, it wouldn't win you... <laughs> Would win you a gold now, but it's a respect. Like if you finish like the Boston Marathon in under three hours, you're doing real good. If I finish the Boston Marathon, it'll be on there. <laughs> Here's the official report of the celebration that followed. Here, the Olympic victor was received with full honor. The king rose from his seat and congratulated him most warmly on his success. Some of the king's aides de camp and several members of the committee went so far as to kiss and embrace the victor, who finally was carried in triumph to the retiring room under the vaulted entrance. The scene witnessed then inside the stadium cannot be easily described, and even foreigners were carried away by the general enthusiasm. <laughs> Years later, shortly before his death, uh, Lewis would describe it this way, that hour was something unimaginable, and it still appears to me in my memory like a dream. Twigs and flowers were raining down on me. Everyone was calling my name and throwing their hats in the air. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> He kept a pretty low profile after his incredible hero's welcome. He was offered anything he wanted from the king, and all he asked for was a cart and donkey to help him carry water. Okay, dream bigger, buddy. Like, a nice little house, maybe some servants. Like, can I live in the castle? Do you have that, an extra castle? That hometown hero story is almost too perfect. I would kind of wonder if some of these details weren't embellished, but we had, like, carrier pigeon news, so we have to be able to trust these reports. I mean, he was the offered, Greeks wouldn't lie. He was offered other gifts, but it's not clear what he accepted. He really kept a low profile after this. Um, yeah, and his giant Greek castle that he <laughs> probably got. Uh, to this day, many Greek sports clubs were named are named after him. And the Greek phrase, I'm going to mispronounce this, Yunamai Lewis means to run like Lewis. And it's used to mean somebody who disappears by running fast. 
even though he won by running not as fast yeah. and therefore yeah, not being faster as than not everybody else in that race. But well. it's a but it's about keeping your pace. It's an endurance race, not a speed race. <laughs> and in 2012, Vibram, the five fingers, those like finger shoes, uh, named one of the running shoes the Spiridon LS after him. So we were talking about gymnastics earlier. Oh God. Okay, so we're moving on from the hometown here. Lewis also meddled in gymnastics. Yeah, he was uh, also a gymnast and a shooter and a swimmer. No, I think Lewis only did the marathon. He wasn't one of these multi guys. Well, the Greeks would would be able to send somebody to specialize in each one because right. they were hosting. And they had done these things before. Yeah, they, oh yeah, they were like holding their own Olympics yeah. before. Just like they they were the only country to send wrestlers who were just wrestlers. Everybody else were like Schumann and and Elliot and like these other people who did a lot of different events and just did the wrestling too. Because wrestling is fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they did get to wear clothes though. They didn't have to do it naked. <laughs> so that's an important I, detail you Yeah, I was imagining earlier. everyone was nude the entire time. <laughs> so, but when we were talking about gymnastics, you said this, this is all men. So you may wonder where all the women were. Uh, there were no women competing at the 1896 Olympic Games. The reason for that is because our good buddy, Pierre de Coubertin, didn't want them there. He said it would be impractical, uninteresting, unaesthetic, and incorrect. Well, they also hadn't invented women <laughs> at that time, so. De Coubertin was very much not in favor of women competing or participating in sports at all, and thought their greatest contribution to sport would be to bear sons and to encourage them to compete. Well, all right, we'll get right to it. Yeah. <laughs> at least one woman did her best to challenge that opinion, specifically with the marathon event. Her name was Donata Rabifi. She was a 30-year-old Greek woman and mother of two. Her youngest child was only 17 months old in 1896. She lived in poverty in the port city of Piraeus. Piraeus was about five and a half miles from Athens, and so she walked there near the beginning of the Olympics looking for work. On the way, she encountered a male runner, whose name I didn't come across, um, who gave her some money and suggested she run the marathon to earn money, or at least enough notoriety to get a job. It's unclear whether or not he was serious about this. <laughs> so you put that on your resume. Uh, accidentally joined Olympic Marathon. It wasn't... Did pretty all right. <laughs> it wasn't the worst suggestion, as Ravithi had experience in long-distance running and enjoyed it. Also, very few top athletes were competing in these games, so that improved her chances as well. She thought she could beat the men. She got to the city of Marathon on April 9th, today, the day before the race. Everybody there welcomed her, and the mayor let her stay at his house. Uh, she tried to participate, with, but was ultimately banned. Uh, the official reason was because the deadline to register had passed, but really it was because there were no girls allowed. <laughs> so the next day, like, there was a priest blessing everybody, and he, like, skipped her. He's, like, very dramatic about <laughs> it. Um, and then she was, like, there lining up with the other runners. They were like, you gotta get out of here. Um, the next day, Ravithi ran the same race course. She left at 8 a.m., which was the starting time of the race the day before, and she had people, like, sign, like, the mayor and other people, police officers, I think, sign her paper saying she did this. Because, um, again, no photography, no radio, like, no records. So, of there's, yeah, there's notarized evidence that she ran the race one day behind everyone else. Yes. Yeah. Great. She left at, eight, well, uh, we'll get to that. She left at 8 a.m., which was the starting time of the race the day before, and ran all the way from Marathon to the Panathenaic Stadium in Athens. She wasn't allowed to enter the stadium, but she did ask the Greek military officers who stopped her at the gates to sign her paper certifying that she ran the course in five and a half hours. Considerably longer than, than Lewis, who won, but also, again, if 
you were to run the <laughs> Sooner than a finish of five and a half hours, you'd be doing good. Um, after that, not much is known. She said she intended to submit the papers to the Olympic Committee to try to get them to recognize her achievement, but there's no record of that ever happening. So it's entirely possible she did that and they just threw them out. <laughs> um, there's also no record of what happened to her after that race. She just kind of disappears from the record. Uh, the first woman who was allowed to compete in an official marathon of any type was in 1926. An Englishwoman, Violet Percy, who ran in the Polytechnic Marathon that went from Windsor to London. The record she set, 3 hours, 40 minutes, and 22 seconds, would stand until American Mary Leffer ran the Western Hemisphere Marathon in 1963 in 3 hours, 37 minutes, and 7 seconds. Women would not be permitted to compete in the Olympic Marathon until 1984. So. Yay! We did it! <laughs> uh, there were later reports of a second woman going by the name Melpomene doing pretty much the same thing Ravithi did a month before the games, but completing the course in four and a half hours. However, that appears to be fake news. Uh, there were about three witnesses. The one newspaper talked about Miss Melpomene, while Ravithi's attempt was well covered and widely witnessed. And also, the Melpamine story didn't really take off for like 20 years or something. It was, it's weird. Mm. So, Ravithi is somebody who actually existed. This other one, we're not so sure. Her, Ravithi's actual modem, motives were unclear. She did not seem to profit from this in any real way. I like the theory that she wanted to participate, and when she reject, was rejected, she did anyway out of spite. <laughs> well, the important thing is sexism is over. <laughs> and it ended in 1984. Yeah. Uh, her efforts were not entirely in vain, however, as the ban on women competing was not to last long, though their full inclusion would take quite a while, as we said, the 1984 Olympics, the first time they run the marathon, um, arguably, uh, the full inclusion would be a long and arguably unfinished process. So, closing ceremonies. The first Olympic Games of the Modern Olympiad closed on April 15th. 1896. King George I of Greece presented the medals to all the first and second place winners. So again, they didn't do the medal ceremony. They also didn't have the flag. They didn't do the torch. They, there was a lot of things that we associate with the Olympics that just didn't happen for a while. Um, the most important of which is clearly the mascots. Did they have mascots? <laughs> they didn't. No. Garbage. But what did the logo look like? Uh, I saw a poster that was like, it was very Belle Epoque like um, Art Nouveau Greek nice. lady like presumably it was a Greek trying to do the shuttle uh, uh, what's the one that they didn't Disc win uh, biscuits shot put, yeah. Yeah. Shot put. Yeah. It, it was a woman so she wasn't doing any sports on the poster I saw oh so <laughs> the woman's allowed ah. to be on the poster ah. yeah um I'm confused. Were uh, there rings? Did they have the rings? No, no, the flag wasn't there. There were okay. no rings. That, that is a logo they came up with a lot later. Um, but it's the Olympics. They didn't have the flag. They didn't have the rings. I'm very confused. We'll get into what the rings represent when we when they actually appear. There's a lady. There's no. <laughs> she's not in any sports. Yes. I don't know what's happening anymore. All right. King George the First of Greece presented the medal medals to all the first and second place winners. Uh, Spiridon Lewis, the marathon champion, then led the medalists on a lap of the stadium while the Olympic hymn played. Again, not the fanfare, but that hymn I read earlier. Um, King George then declared the first Olympic Games to be closed and left the stadium while the Greek national anthem played and the crowd cheered. Everyone was very pleased. King George and a number of athletes, including most of the Americans, uh, delivered a signed petition. Or, uh, no. So, King George and a number of athletes, including 
most of the Americans delivered a signed petition to the IOC stating this, were of the opinion that all Olympics should be held in Greece. The Paris had already been chosen for the next one, and it was supposed to be Chicago in 1904. Um, de Coubertin was very into this idea of rotating the games to different um, countries and world-class cities is what he wanted. They should have left it in Greece. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that I agree, because Greece is just going to sweep the boating event every year, because no one else can come into their bay. I mean, we'll give them that one to just not have to spend money on Olympic stadiums. I mean, that's also a fair point. Although I do wonder, um, how much did that boating, ev- that was only one or two medals? Like, how much did that swing the overall medal count in their favor? Uh, no, it, not, I mean, they won, like, 43 medals, and the, the right. next was the Americans who won, like, 20-something. Okay. So we, we can feel pretty good about their performance, even with those, like, a couple of weird hiccups with the maritime law. And that wasn't, they didn't, nobody competed in the regatta. There was no boating events. It was the swimming. It was uh, the 100 meter Greek Royal Navy right. swimming. So. They just, like, put their Navy seals in. Whatever the 1896 version of Greece. Literal seals. <laughs> Christian Navy seals. <laughs> they just held fish on the other end of the Only seal. the seals can survive in these cold waters. <laughs> I mean, that makes a lot of sense. That was the mascot. So, yeah. Yes. It was um, the Greek Royal Navy seals. And it, it's surprising how well these went, and then they go in a very weird direction for the next couple. I mean, it's good that the first ones went so well. As you mentioned, they really needed a lot of momentum to get through the well, next couple. Yeah. The, the ni- reason the- is probably because it was in Greece, and they yeah. had done it before. And they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Which they kept saying during all the, <laughs> like we said in episode one, they kept saying, like, no, guys, we know what we're doing. But it was the same thing that happened later when, when Athens got the Olympics again, where um, they kept saying, like, no, we can totally do this. And then, like, the Olympics were like, uh, I don't know. You guys kind of don't have your shit together. And... Um, there was a lot of doubt about their ability to actually complete everything on time. Like, it was the same thing. Like, Well, I mean, mm. charitably, I, you could separate those. Like, you might be worried about a specific event, but the motivation of taking the Olympics to different countries um, every cycle, mm-hmm. right, is not necessarily motivated by not liking Greece. Like, that no, idea no, itself not. is not bad. No, no, I meant specifically the attitudes whenever Greece actually gets the Olympics being like, are you guys sure you can do this? Like, Which yeah. is mildly offensive. Yeah, they, they can do it. Like, <laughs> They invented it. They know what they're... And also, it's, in, like, it's one of those things, it's like incredibly... Like, now, it's such a prestigious thing, but always, like, the Greeks always really cared about the Olympics when even when nobody else did, so... Yeah, I mean, yeah. We did a real good job with our first one. It's going to be really exciting. <laughs> That's going to be very, a fun episode. I'm very here for it. We get to listen to the, the next one's going to be the first French one, which is... I, that's going to be great, too. I <laughs> yeah. can't wait. And they're five... I'm sure they'll do great. 5,000 archers. No, you're describing, like, the Battle of Creasy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're getting this confused again with the Olympics. <laughs> no, uh, we'll talk about that. 5,000 archers march on the Olympic Stadium. We demand events. <laughs> We demand oh. to be taken seriously. <laughs> they don't shoot skeet with bow and arrow. What are you talking about, pole? Yeah. <laughs> well, what, are, what are the commands for Knox's release on arrows when you have 5,000 archers in the line? Well, I don't know. I just know pole is to, like... They also... Um, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say. What's okay, going no, spoilers. no spoilers. No spoilers. No spoilers. No, no, no. So there's there's a couple interesting things on on the first Olympics, right? Like primarily, hey, you managed to hold a convention, and like. 
pull it off. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of logistics things about, like, getting that many people in one place and then nobody dying. So yeah. that's cool. Yes. Well, that we know of. <laughs> that we know of. I think I think what helped, for one thing, and this is something that'll come up in St. Louis, uh, when we talk, especially when we talk about the marathon, is that they held them in April when it's not that hot. Um, that helped, I think, a lot. Yeah. If they had held it at the height of summer in Greece, that would have been bad. That was a mild problem in Missouri. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Oh, it's just just a just a bucket of laughs. <laughs> well, and I assume that it also started the tradition of everyone running a marathon drinking a glass of cognac on route. Like <laughs> well, that's a oh, thing that still happens, right? Yeah, and eating they, an orange, taking a break, hanging out with your girlfriend. I mean, they <laughs> thought like they thought brandy like made you run better, right? Yeah. Like they I mean, thought, we have evidence that it's true. <laughs> He did post a he really good win. time. Yeah, he won. <laughs> he set an Olympic record. <laughs> they were like, well, this is working, clearly, so like, let's not stop having some cognac on the field. Like, don't take our fun away. I think my favorite story, though, is the shooters who were like, well, the one bro's like, I won a gold medal. You can win the gold medal in the next it's one. It's like a beautiful <laughs> spirit of camaraderie right? and, like, international togetherness. And we it's don't kind wanna, of adorable. We don't want to make the host too mad by dominating them. Completely. Yeah. No, it's, like, really adorable. Like, <laughs> yeah. I guess we used to be adorable, and I didn't know that. <laughs> it delights me. And the British weightlifters used to be super hot. Are they not now? I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> I mean, it depends on what you're into. I guess. I, I'm gonna like go Google recent Scottish weightlifters and just see what happens. I'm gonna roll those dice. It, it is funny because he does not look like a modern weightlifter. Like modern weightlifters are are they're big people. Like it's it, it's a benefit. It helps them lift weight better. Um, he looks like a stereotypical like old timey weightlifter, complete with mustache. No, he's he looks he like a bodybuilder. No, he doesn't have skinny oh, legs. Yeah? He's no, got okay. he's got like the nice thighs, but like oh, he's, well, all right. Doesn't have like the he was in the hunks segment of that. Yeah, he was. <laughs> and you'll see him like flexing. He looks like you would expect a bodybuilder to look like, mm, where it's okay. not a lot of excess fat and a lot of a, muscle. A lot of people's mental image of weightlifters is still bodybuilders. I think. Yeah, but they're they don't do the best at the weightlifting, right. which is why the Olympic weightlifters don't look like like uh, people comp- compete in bodybuilding. They don't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know. But this guy was built more like him. Anyway, right. yeah. Any other closing thoughts? Um, other than Lonston Elliott and I mean, I <laughs> feel like this is going to devolve into like <laughs> it, it sounds like they basically invented the closing uh, parade of athletes, perhaps by accident. I wasn't clear if that was an intentional ceremony or if Lewis just let everyone in a lap. For, I think for I think fun. that was on purpose. They just like you know the that was their spectacle for mm. the end. They don't really do a lap so much anymore. They just kind of the. The way they do it now is that at the beginning, they all march in separately and their countries are announced as they enter, um, like separated by country, and it's alphabetic um, by the alphabet of the hosting country and like what their word for each country is. So like, Mm -hmm. so like uh, Germany is Deutschland, Right. right? But we call them Germany, so they would be under G's when in when they're in america you know um but they would be under d's when they're in germany and i don't know you know what i mean like that's yes yes so but in the closing ceremonies they just enter all together and they don't announce the separate countries they all mingle together and the idea is to kind of be a symbol of kind of breaking down the national barriers and we're all one in this olympic spirit it's beautiful it is like there's a lot about 
the ideals of the Olympics that are really beautiful. The they don't always achieve. No, and those there's a goals. lot of corruption what? and terrible no. things that happen. But I, it's still I think a, there's nothing like it. I mean, do you think that the ideals of the Olympics were well represented with the first set of games, like right out of the gate? I think so. I mean, because De Coubertin was really a driving force still at that point, and he kind of fades out for a little bit in the next couple. But he was very much a proponent of this kind of the coming together of nations, and we're all brothers because he wasn't into the women, but uh, <laughs> competing anyway. I don't know his personal life. <laughs> but, um, oh, bold claims. I, I just. I'm just not claiming anything there, but he didn't want them competing. But like the the whole brotherhood of sport and and we're all equals on the field, and then we go back to our our real lives. But you know, humanity kind of being all together in this. Every four years, we have this moment where, and again, the, I mean, even more so because the different nations didn't matter as much in the first one. It was, you know, that's why the apparently you could just self. Declare yourself or whatever. Like, uh, I'm Greek. <laughs> like, okay. Um, yeah, so... So, I think I think I should probably get... And, and yeah, that's something we'll get into in the next episode because there's a little bit of tension between the ideals of Olympism versus what happens in the next couple Olympics. Getting more into what Olympism or their ideals actually are. And All right. So. Sounds cool. Yeah. Hope you'll tune in again next time. All right. Cue the outro.